Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hello, I'm Janet Marana, Executive Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to our program. Well, you know, so many people have been very discouraged by all these constitutional amendments that the pro-aborts have been passing, you know, especially last year was so disappointing, like in Michigan. And of course, we just had the recent big disappointment in Ohio. And I think people feel defeated. Well, hang on now, because I'm going to give you a reason for hope, because there was a big announcement that happened recently in Michigan. You're going to hear all about it. Because joining me today is a great friend of mine and Father Pavone's and Priest for Life. He happens to be our general counsel here uh, at Priest for Life. His name is uh, Robert Muse. He's a brilliant lawyer and he's uh, head of the American Freedom Law Center. So welcome to the program. Janet, great to be with you. Great to have you. And of course, we thank you so much for representing us, especially going uh, to that case in the Supreme Court even, uh, you know, with the... Obama trying to make us uh, give contraception against our consciences and our health care. So a thousand thank yous, a thousand thank yous for all that great work and all the briefs and all the work. I mean, people don't realize when they hear a case is being heard all the I mean, how many countless hours and days and days and days of research and work. Right. It just doesn't happen in a blink. Right. No, exactly. There's a lot of effort that goes into these uh, these laws, especially when, you know, that one that went all the way up to the U.S. US Supreme Court, you know, many, many arguments in the district court and the court of appeals. And then finally in the U.S. Supreme Court. So lots of uh, lots of briefing. But I know that's not the, the main reason why we're we're here today. You mentioned a, uh, an announcement at the the right to life of Michigan's March for Life that we had um, in Michigan on November 8th this this uh, past week. It was a year to the day of the passage of Proposal 3 here in Michigan, which uh, which created this super right to reproductive freedom uh, under the Michigan Constitution. It added an amendment to the Michigan Constitution, actually Article 1, Section uh, Section 28. Well, uh, that morning at the, uh, the March for Life, they made a pretty big announcement, and that was uh, that we had filed a federal civil rights lawsuit challenging uh, Proposal 3 on federal constitutional grounds. Um, the lead plaintiff in that case was Right to Life of Michigan, and uh, there were 16 uh, plaintiffs that we uh, we sued on behalf of a, a large array of health professionals, parents, um, you know, or pro-life organizations, crisis pregnancy centers, um, and you know, again, different uh, different organizations challenging uh, Proposal Three again, Article One, Section 28 of the Michigan Constitution on federal constitutional grounds. Now, this this uh, voter referendum, similar to the one in Ohio. It, uh, it created a state constitutional amendment. So that is obviously the supreme law, state law of that particular state in Michigan. But uh, state law, regardless of whether it's a, you know, a statute, an ordinance, or even a constitutional amendment, is still always subject to the supremacy clause of the U.S. Constitution. Under the supremacy clause, the U.S. Constitution is the supreme law of the land. And these challenges, these federal civil rights challenges to uh, state referendum passed um, constitutional state constitutional amendments um, that you know they're not foreign to the courts. In fact, there was a one that went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court in 1992. Colorado passed an amendment, Amendment Two, uh, which basically um, said that uh, the, the under the state constitution you couldn't pass laws that 
per, that provided extra rights and privileges for those who are homosexuals. And that was challenged in the district court when all the way up to the Supreme Court, Roma versus Evans in 1996, the court struck it down on federal constitutional grounds, equal protection on, uh, on rational basis, meaning the lowest level of scrutiny. And as you know, I'm sure most of your viewers know, and, and here in Michigan in 2004, Michigan, like so many other states, passed overwhelmingly marriage amendments, right? That marriage was between one man and one woman. Well, those constitutional amendments were challenged in federal court, went all the way up to the US Supreme, US Supreme Court and resulted in the Obergefell decision, which, uh, which struck all of, them, uh, all of them down. So, you know, it's interesting because I saw there was a press release, I think, from the came from the uh, Michigan uh, governor's office saying, oh, we're trying to thwart the will of the, uh, you know, of the people by, by following this federal, uh, this federal lawsuit challenging a, a voter-approved uh, constitutional amendment. Well, the passage of Proposal 3 was right around 57%. The passage uh, uh, percentage of the marriage amendment was 59%. So it was actually even higher, but yet they had no problem challenging the, uh, the marriage amendment in federal, in federal court. So this, uh, you know, is, and, and I always, I make this comment all the time. I, I abide by the, uh, that great philosopher, Wayne Gretzky, that you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And so it just, it, it was actually by happenstance, I've been working on this lawsuit since February and it was ready to file the morning of uh, November 8th. So a year to the day that Proposal 3 was passed, we filed this federal civil rights lawsuit in the U.S. District Court for the Western uh, District of, of Michigan. And, well, now, and we essentially raised five five claims. But if, um, And I, I can review those momentarily if we can, you've got a question about where we are right now. Yes. Okay. So you filed it. And then what are the steps? Like what's the little step by step by yeah. step? You know, you file something and then people say, OK, and then you don't hear about it for a while, because what are those little steps we have to have along the way? Yeah, those those little steps can take can take a while. Uh, we have 100 days to serve the complaint, uh, which we're going to be doing here here shortly. And then once they get the complaint, uh, they have you know several weeks to file either what's called an answer where they'll just go through the allegations or they'll file a motion to dismiss. The vast majority of the cases that I've handled, and this will certainly be one of them. You know, they'll try to get it dismissed early. And, and so we'll be dealing with uh, with motions on that. And that'll likely be, you know, through Christmas or shortly after Christmas, all the briefing that'll go into that. Uh, and then we'll wait a decision on uh, on the motion to dismiss. And so that's typically how these things go. You get a lot of motions. And then if necessary, if we survive the motion, um, if the if the judge grants, if the judge grants the motion, dismisses the lawsuit, we can appeal that immediately to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. Um, if he denies the motion, that's not an appealable order. So we'll go on to discovery, start taking depositions, interrogatories, document production. That'll probably go on for about a year. And then no doubt there'll be cross motions for summary judgment. We go through that same process again um, and could be a trial if there's dispute of material facts. So these things can take time. And if you remember my, you know, when I was mentioning about that Colorado constitutional amendment, it was passed in 1992. The Supreme Court rendered an opinion in 1996. Right. So that took four years. And that's probably, you know, three, four years is is uh, is a good bet on how long these things take, because, I'm, you know, we're not going to give up. You know, we lose in the district court. We're going to the appellate court. We lose in the appellate court. We're going to go to the Supreme Court. And I'm sure the other side, how much they love abortion uh, is going to do the same thing. So if they f have failures along the way, they'll appealing. So you've got to be in for the uh, you know, in this for the long haul. And uh, and we certainly uh, we certainly are. Okay, and, so you know, the, the complaint and I just add this, you know, if you go to our website, 
um, one of the lead stories on our website is the filing of this lawsuit and hyperlinked there is a copy of the complaint. Um, mm. And the complaint is 36 pages long. You know, it's, it's very detailed. I think, uh, you know, your readers might, your, you know, your viewers might find it interesting to, you know, to, to read the, uh, to read the lawsuit and all the detail that we put in it. Website, repeat the website. Yeah, it's uh, AmericanFreedomLawCenter.org or the shorter version is AFLC.us. Either one of those will take you here. And you see up the top story, breaking news for the lawsuit filed challenging Prop 3. You click on that link. You can read our press release about it. And, and linked in that press release is the actual copy of the complaint that was filed. And you can read all the uh, all the allegations that we set forth in uh, in this complaint. Okay, so now as this you know creeps along, <clears throat> are there things like when you said, oh, there might be discovery, would that be where if we know women who are hurt by abortion in Michigan or stories where is that the kind of discovery you'll need? Um, right. Like where, how can the average person say, wait, you know, I want to help. How could they help as this goes along? Well, and, and let me just, let me stop by saying this. Let me go through the, the various claims that we have. And, um, you know, we'll have to have facts to support those, those claims. The first claim that we're advancing is the equal protection. And and clarifying and again this this constitutional amendment I know was you know it, it was it was uh, you know advertised as reversing Roe just you know restoring Roe was their was their sort of their tagline and this does nothing nothing of the sorts this creates this super super right to reproductive freedom which doesn't isn't just limited to abortion it's it's it includes and this is what the this is what the amendment says <clears throat> all matters relating to pregnancy including but not limited to prenatal care, childbirth, postpartum care, contraception, sterilization, abortion care, miscar uh, miscarriage management, inf and infertility care. In infertility care. So sterilization would necessarily include, you know, these gender reassignment surgeries and all these other things that are, that are going. So this thing was drafted very, very broadly. Obviously, the main point was, uh, was for, um, for abortion. But one of the things this statute does, this constitutional amendment does, is it changes what is the normal standard of medical care to informed consent to simply voluntary consent. And it also uh, provides express immunities for individuals who aid or assist a pregnant woman in getting an abortion. So under this constitutional amendment, you could literally have a boyfriend doing a, a coat hanger abortion on, on the, on the, the pregnant, his, uh, you know, his pregnant girlfriend, because she voluntarily consented to it. And it's not up and the, the legislature could do nothing about it because the other unique component of this, and I've never seen it in my 20 plus years doing constitutional litigation. All rights typically are subject to some restrictions, right? We all know free speech isn't, you know, you, you, don't, you can't engage in free speech at all the time everywhere. Sometimes the government might have a compelling interest to restrict a, a fundamental right, and then they have to use the least restrictive means to do so. So that's called strict scrutiny. Here, they define in this, in this um, constitutional amendment, what actually is a compelling interest. And then they make that compelling interest always subject to the individual autonomous, autonomous decision-making of the person who wants to exercise their reproductive freedom, meaning there are no compelling interests, meaning the legislature has zero authority to regulate in this broad area of reproductive freedom whatsoever. And, and you think about how harmful that is for women. And that's the first claim is the equal protection claim on behalf of women. It deprives them of what the normal protections would be for, you know, for even for routine medical care that's re related to, uh, 
to pregnancy. It changes the standard of care from informed consent to just voluntary consent. The other thing so, is, it, um, uh, but yeah. also too, um, Rob, doesn't it really tie the hands of the entire? Like right now in Michigan, you have a hundred percent Democratic pro-abortion legislature. You know, House and State Senate and Governor. But let's suppose that flipped to be pro-life. Let's imagine that. Yes. Doesn't this amendment then tie their hands that there's not oh. much they can do legislatively then, right? There's nothing they can do legislatively. Yeah. Right? So and, and right now, the and the thing is very interesting, uh, Prop uh, 3, Article 1, Section 28 is self-executing. So it doesn't even need legislation to put in place its its provisions. Right now, the, the pro-abort Democrats control every lever of power in Michigan, the, the, the governor's mansion, the Senate, and the House. And they just passed this, this Reproductive Health Act, which essentially codifies so many provisions of this constitutional, of this amendment. But in, in my view, that's not even necessary. It's kind of smoke and mirrors. And they've been kind of keeping their powder dry, in my view. Uh, you know, this, has been, this is, was passed over a year ago because they control all the levers of power. You, if that flips, we flip the governor's mansion or, you know, in the, the House and, and, the, and the Senate, which we used to be very, it used to be Republican. In fact, Michigan was one of the most pro-life states. Right to Life Michigan did a great job passing so much legislation within the confines of Roe with uh, informed consent laws and waiting periods and, and abortion regulations that, you know, for the protection of the, of the women. Well, that's, that's all gone. That's not I, right now. This the state of Michigan is like worse than California, New York. I don't even know where I live anymore, for goodness sakes. But yes, if they if the Republicans take over and they try to pass any of these meaningful restrictions on abortion that provides, you know, even just for the you know the 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 health and safety of these of these abortion centers, this the sanitation of them, they can run. They're going to run a fall of uh, of Prop Three because everything's going to be subject to the individual who wants to have their abortion. You know, we one of the allegations we make is that. You know, these Gosnell-like abortion centers are going to pop up everywhere because there's, there's almost nothing that the government can do to uh, to regulate abortion. And then the other part of this is they can't all, they also cannot provide statutory conscience protection for health care workers and health care providers. That's one of the other claims we have is the right to, of free exercise of religion. The right of conscience, conscience is protected by the First Amendment. This does away with all those types of protections as a matter of uh, as a matter of state law. And it's, you know, it's going to be, a, and, you know, even, I don't know if you saw this letter that was signed by, you know, a handful of attorneys general, Dana Nessel, the attorney general of Michigan, signed it as well, basically attacking crisis pregnancy centers, saying that they, they provide, you know, misinformation and, you know, we're going to be watching them. And bear in mind, so every, almost every business that operates in Michigan, even nonprofits or like me as a nonprofit, I'm licensed by the state of Michigan. Doctors have their licenses. Businesses have their licenses. The government can interfere in so many ways uh, with your business if there's anything you do that might be counter to what uh, what proposal three uh, what proposal three does. I know, for example, there's a um, a, a Catholic uh, doctor who runs a, a Catholic medical um, uh, medical center, and this individual wanted to come there and and basically just get medication for for ADD, but the person was also um, transitioning. And these, you know, the doctor's office made the point that, look, we can't we can't provide you with medication for the transitioning. That's not what we do. It's not our specialty. You're going to have to see a specialist for that if that's one. Next thing you know, they, they got a complaint to the uh, Michigan Civil Rights Department. Right. Because in, in Lara, which is the licensing of the branch, because, oh, they're you know, they're interfering with my uh, with my uh, my medical rights, my civil rights. This is this is diabolical. <laughs> and I don't know how the way to put it. 
But one of the things is, and this is where, you know, hubris, right? Pride goes before the fall is that they drafted this in as broad a terms as they possibly could have. And quite frankly, that becomes an Achilles heel because it opens it up to the various challenges that we're advancing. We're advancing a claim under equal protection. We're advancing a claim under parental rights because this is, this amendment applies to everyone. It doesn't have exceptions for minors. So a minor, if their public school, you know, uh, a guidance counsel or a principal or a teacher wants to aid and abet and assist this minor having an abortion, nothing the parents can do. And that individual who aids and abets is immune from any government action, can't be prosecuted, can't be charged. Quite frankly, I, and we've alleged this, and I, I think a fair reading of this amendment is it does away with statutory rape laws, right? Because if reproductive freedom doesn't mean, you know, the, the freedom to engage, you know, in acts that allow you to become pregnant, then I'm not sure what reproductive freedom necessarily means. And if it applies to everybody and nobody can interfere with that in any way, it's a fundamental right. You know, these uh, statutory rape laws are going to be subject to uh, uh, to challenge under this um, under this very, very broad proposal. And so um, the, one of the other things we, we brought up a, a claim, you know, because this they've in in under the guise of, of uh, Prop 3, they also as part of this Reproductive Health Act uh, repealed um, partial birth abortion. Right. We're going to we're making a due process claim on behalf of the unborn. It's time to do this. Right. The only thing that was preventing. The, uh, that protection was Roe versus Wade, and Roe versus Wade is is now void ab initio, meaning it as if it never existed in light of the Dobbs case. It's time to reassert the fact, particularly based on medical science, that this this unborn, this preborn human life is unique, it's distinct, it has its own DNA, and certainly, you know, how, how is it that a child that's you know partially born is not is not protected by you know homicide laws and other laws? And so we're, we're going to, you know, press on the uh, on the due process, right, the right to life and liberty. There was an excellent amicus brief that was filed in the Dobb case, uh, making the argument that, you know, this the court needs to reconsider this. And so we're going to ask the court to re to not say reconsider, but to consider because Roe versus Wade is no longer the law. So anything Roe said on this issue is 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 no longer uh, law in any way. And then, you know, one of the final claims that we're making is this is under the guarantee clause. And it goes to that point where the legislature now has no authority to regulate in a very broad area uh, reproduction that was that's normally within their, you know, within their confines. Right? The the US Constitution guarantees to the people of every state a Republican form of government. And you know, we always kind of sloppily say, well, we live in a democracy. It's not a democracy. We live in a constitutional republic. Under a democracy, you could have, you know, you could have a tyranny of the majority. Under a pure democracy, if they, you know, tomorrow wanted to vote that, uh, you know, it's illegal to be a Catholic, um, they could do that. And there's nothing you do. You don't have a constitution to rely on. You don't have the checks and balances, the Republican form of government, and so forth. So, for example, under our under the provisions of our state constitution, we could have an amendment to do away totally with the legislative branch. Well, obviously, that would undermine the right to Republican form of government. This case law that says even if you have one non-Republican feature. That's you know part of the of the Constitution. You could also be deprived of a Republican form of government, and we believe that this does that by depriving the legislature the ability to regulate whatsoever in a very broad area of reproduction. Deprives those voters of Michigan, you know, the right to a uh, to Republican form of government because the legislatures have been have been now immunized uh, have been now basically erased from being able to, to exercise their coordinate branch of government in this area. And we have three uh, Michigan legislatures, two representatives and a senator 
who uh, who are who are part of this plaintiffs group, part of the sixteen plaintiffs. Wow. Well, you know, this whole thing goes so against um, our founding fathers, and why do we have those three separate branches of government and and all that equal representation? You know, <clears throat> when you think about it, even with our elections, that's why we have the electoral college because exactly. otherwise, states like New York and California, well, they would elect the president, right? And all these smaller states wouldn't have a chance, you know? And so that's why we have a republic and we have all these means. But when you think about it, that not even to regulate, you know, let's put it this way. I guarantee you, like in New York, where I came from, the laws on the books in New York state are stricter for veterinary clinics than they are for abortion clinics. There are no laws on the books in New York and probably not in Michigan either, that even that the clinic has to be have certain health standards, you know, like, a, a, like a surgical unit, uh, <coughs> that only the doctor can perform the abortion. In a veterinary clinic, only the vet can give a shot to that dog or cat, not the assistant, right? No. But women are not protected in no. these abortion clinics. And this Michigan law uh, amendment, like in Ohio, it just wipes any protection for women off the books, doesn't it? No, it does. You know, we had uh, we recently had the uh, you know on on the on the ballot the proposal to legalize marijuana, and you you can't drive a, down a street corner in any of the cities here in, in Michigan, certainly in the Ann Arbor area here, and, and not see you know some marijuana shop on the on the corner. You know this is abortion's big business. I mean they they make a lot of money off of this, and I it wouldn't surprise me you start seeing these abortion centers popping up all over the place. Um, and once they really kind of get their teeth into this, uh, this prop three and, and start, you know, really going on the, uh, on the attack with the, uh, um, you know, in the abortion industry and, and setting up, but yeah, you're right. There's, you're, you're not, when you, when it's only voluntary consent, a woman could voluntarily consent to a, to a coat hanger abortion. Right. And that's, that's you, there's, the state has no compelling interest to override her, her autonomous decision maker decision making. So as long as she does something voluntarily, even if it's uninformed or misinformed, it just has to be voluntary. And now it's, it's okay under the, uh, under this Michigan uh, constitutional provision. And again, that's, that's an equal protection violation for the women. And, and, and certainly the doctors who might be put into, into, you know, tough situations because of this um, also violates their, their rights of conscience among the other, you know, the other constitutional claims that we're advancing. But I, I do encourage you, people, your, you know, the viewers here to, to go read the complaint um, right. and, and all these, all the allegations and, and everything that we set out. I, I think it, um, you know, I had others that would help me. The Great Lakes Justice Center was, was, uh, was assisting on this as, uh, as well. And, and certainly all the great plaintiff organizations, the uh, American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, um, you know, Right to Life Michigan and, and others just, you know, they, they were very, uh, very helpful, obviously, in everything that we, the way we designed and, and strategized on this, on this complaint. So I'm uh, well, looking and, forward to this battle. And then I think we have to ask everyone to help out here by starting with prayer. Yeah. I think that's going to be so important. I think they have to pray for you, your whole team, and for the people in the courts to open their hearts and listen to the truth. Right. So I think we need to start like a, a real prayer campaign for this because when I'm thinking, you know, am I right or wrong here? If you could be successful, then this could be the recipe that could help Kansas and these other States 
that already lost and have these amendments, this could be a path forward for them too, couldn't it? Absolutely. And, and you know, I would, I would encourage that in other jurisdictions. Ohio's in the Sixth Circuit. So if we succeed here in the Sixth Circuit, it will directly apply to Ohio's amendment. But other jurisdictions and other circuits, because one of the, you know, is we have a, in, in my view, we have a, you know, a, a favorable Supreme Court right now. And if you have a circuit split, one circuit go one way, one circuit go another way, that's uh, typically a reason for the Supreme Court to, um, you know, to take up a, to take up a case. Um, so it would be, uh, it'd be great to put a, uh, put a nail in this, uh, in this coffin here. Over Absolutely. Next years, so. We're going to be praying for you, yeah. uh, Robert Muse. Uh, you're a champion uh, for the unborn and you have been for decades. And of course, we're very privileged to have you as our general counsel. You give us all kinds of advice all the time, help keeping us out of trouble <laughs> from the government who would love to shut us down. Uh, right? That's my advice might get you into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, everyone go to your website, support your work and read uh, this whole uh, thing that you've filed. And we'll, we'll have you back when there's updates of how people can get involved and help. And uh, if you need any help from the women who've had abortions in Michigan, we'll rally them up for you. And also, too, if you need any more briefs, we'll get that going, too. So yeah. thank you for joining us. And prayers are coming your way. Thank you. Much, much appreciated. Great to be with you, as always. Okay. Thank you. And God bless. Well, brothers and sisters, I hope this encouraged you to see that. It's not over even when they tell us it's over because we're the army of God. We're going to be praying up this whole Michigan initiative with Mr. Muse and his team. And I think we will have victory if we just storm heaven with prayers for them. And remember, brothers and sisters, it's really up to you because there's some abortions only you're going to be able to stop and some lives only you can save. Join us again next time. Thank you and God bless. Hello, this is Father David Begany. Like many priests, I am inspired and always learning from the Ministry of Priests for Life, which is one of the largest and most visible pro-life organizations in the world. This ministry relies on your financial support to be able to do its work, produce its programs, and travel the world to advocate for the unborn. May I ask you to support Priests for Life generously? Go today to prolifegift.org and give as generous a gift as you can. Thank you so much and be assured of our daily prayers for you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.